Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. Uh, look at me, two days in a row doing an episode. I'm, I think I deserve a sticker or something, so let me know about that, please, because I always like a little prize. But anyways, um, I was going to wait till after the election, which is happening today, Tuesday the 8th, but I wanted to give some more thoughts, a few takeaways, and talk about just some of the importance of today. So yeah, you guys get to deal with me for another occasion. First off, I was going to mention it yesterday, but there were so many other things I wanted to cover that it skipped my mind. But over the weekend, we had Trump do multiple rallies, kind of a last, I guess you could say last ditch effort before the midterms, much like Obama was also doing his rounds across the country. And um, there was a report, I think it came out last Friday, where people close to Trump are basically saying that Monday the 14th could be the day that he officially announces his presidency for 2024. So lucky us. Of course, we all knew this was going to happen. I think some of us were maybe wish casting and hoping that (laughs) maybe there was a chance it wasn't going to happen. But I mean, look, the second that Trump lost in 2020 and all the chaos happened, it was kind of obvious the writing was on the wall. And obviously, Mar-a-Lago, the raid at Mar-a-Lago, I think just fueled everything even more. So yeah, it looks like he's not going away. Now, Over the weekend, he kind of alluded to this again. I mean, pretty much for the last year or two, he's pretty much just constantly alluded to running, though he's kind of toying with the supporters and never actually has directly said it. But over the weekend, he said, I might just have to do it again, which I think is the closest thing that he's actually said to I'm going to run again. And also there's reports that Tom Cotton has sent out a memo saying that he will not run in 2024. Also, Trump was at a rally in Florida that he did not invite Ron DeSantis to, which was very awkward. He called Ron DeSantis Ron Sanctimonious, and he mentioned how Trump mentioned how he himself was up in the polls for 2024. DeSantis only had 10 percent, Mike Pence even less. Clearly, Trump is um, getting competitive with other people like DeSantis because he knows that that could be a formidable challenger, potentially. So, yeah, I think Trump is back. (laughs) Lucky us. And part of me was wondering if last night he was going to announce during the midterms or before the midterms, just because part of me thinks maybe you do announce because then it makes your voters go, well, look, if we if we get like Republicans back in some of these swing states and in these seats, then we'll help Trump in 2024. So I was wondering if he would announce either yesterday, Monday or today. So far, haven't heard anything. Um, But this tells me, I think this kind of alludes to why these midterms are so important because look trump loses in 2020 creates the big lie with the help of you know roger stone and other grifters we have a storming of the capitol and now people are pretty much building the entire republican party around making sure that doesn't happen again so 2022 these midterms if the republicans do as well as some people think guess what we're going to pretty much have people setting it up setting up a infrastructure and an apparatus so that Trump, if he runs again, will likely win. And I think that would be very bad for American democracy. Now, I don't think that it's potentially the end of American democracy, but if if the Republicans do what they keep telling us they're going to do, especially in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan, just to name a few, or in Arizona, right, then, yeah, I think it's setting up the framework for Trump to come back and kind of come back worse than ever. So it, it, it is troubling. I've, you know, for example, covered Viktor Orban in Hungary. I've talked about him in nauseam, right? And he truly is an autocrat at this point, right? 
The problem is people like him, Erdogan, Putin, just to name a few, they've all come into power via elections. It's not like they just seized power or anything like that. It's not like, what's his name, Lenin or something, Vladimir Lenin, you know, where the Russian Revolution happens and they seize power. No, I mean, people like Viktor Orban, the modern autocrats, have, um, you know, won through democratic institutions and then eroded them. And I think it was Bill Maher who said it on his Friday show from last week. I think he said it best. He said something to the effect of, this election could really be the crossing of the Rubicon moment because we're actually seeing election deniers get elected into office, potentially. And, you know, <laughs> there's something kind of Kafka-esque about that, or I guess you could just say tragic about that. You know, the people may use elections to elect people who do not believe in the efficacy of elections. It's just kind of crazy. And I think that's why these elections are more important than a lot, at least in my lifetime. I mean, 2018 was also important. 2020 has also been important. But there's a different level of importance to this because we know Trump is looming. And there's people in here who would really try to change the system. I mean, even in, even in Wisconsin, you have the Republican nominee saying, if he wins, Democrats will never you know, win in the state again. That is troubling. And it just feels bad if the election deniers and people who would not certify the 2020 results and people that have retconned January 6th are not punished for their actions. And it's looking like that's the case. Now, again, like I've said, before we get into the few things I wanted to talk about, it's really hard to predict because the polls have been wrong in the past. There's always skews in the polls. People just need to vote. That's really all I can say right now is people just need to vote because the polls are pretty much tied in almost all of these races that I've talked about, especially yesterday, for like, for example, in Georgia. Yeah, maybe Herschel Walker's up by one point. That's so much in the margin of error that it doesn't really matter. Same with in places like Nevada. So people just need to vote because these are important. You know, if, if you have a Laxall, for example, who becomes the, the, one of the senators in Nevada, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Anyways, so yesterday I talked about Philadelphia, about 3,500 ballots potentially being rejected due to not putting the correct date on the outside of the ballot that was mailed in. Today I want to talk about another fun little controversy. Controversy, sorry. Oop, loud vehicle. Jeez, people drive so loud out here sometimes. Perks of living in a city apartment, right? But anyways, um, one of them I saw is that in Florida, the, the state has rejected, I guess you could call them federal election officials from overseeing certain election sites especially in Miami-Dade County. And the story's developing, but it's kind of interesting because in 2020, Florida did not reject federal officials from doing this when, excuse me, when President Trump was president. So it's kind of an interesting story there developing, of course, seeing that there's no just even non-bias going on with all this stuff. Of course, I'm not surprised. Who would be surprised at this point, right? Anyways, there's there's also another interesting story coming out of Maricopa County. So that's in Arizona, the most populous county in Arizona. And there's, a, I guess, an apparent voting machine issue that is being resolved, but I think it's going to cause a little bit of chaos as well. I haven't seen a lot of information. I saw on Fox and CNN they were talking about it, and I had to dig more into local news stories to see more on this. Fox 10 has an article. Fox 10 is out of Phoenix. And it has an article that discusses how Mar Maricopa County reports voting machine problems at over 20% of polling locations. Apparently not every machine at these locations has these issues, but at, but at these locations there's multiple machines that have. So that means that there have been issues maybe with some of the people that have voted there. 
the, the issues are around tabulation, which kind of has to do with indexing and dividing different categories. And apparently the systems have also had issues from too many password attempts and login problems. That's at least according to what CNN was saying. And going back to the Fox 10 article, county officials have said that voters shouldn't worry about this issue. They shouldn't worry about their votes not being counted. They've said it's not a disenfranchisement issue. All that fun stuff. And apparently they can go to other centers, go to tabulation centers to follow up if they need be. But it sounds like, generally speaking, they are getting this resolved, and it's probably not the end of the world right now, which I guess is good news. Though still, I'm always hesitant about these type of issues, especially after 2020. The problem here, I, I think especially in Arizona and in Maricopa County specifically, is that in the lead-up to these midterms, there have been people trying to spread misinformation about these machines in Arizona already. Like, we don't need to put any more fuel to fire about election issues. You know what I mean? This county is the most populous in Arizona. It's important in determining results in the state. And one can imagine, and it seems almost certain, that people are going to pick up this story and just spread conspiracies all about it. The fears of disinformation are growing, and this is a breeding ground. Remember, Maricopa County was already a controversial place for lies and theories. Back in 2020, we had the Cyber Ninja audits. Mike Lindell's been busy there. And even if this issue is getting resolved, it's just another thing that I think is going to muddy the waters. And the last thing we need is water to be any more muddied. I like clear water on Election Day. I like to see the bottom. And um, these issues just kind of always stack up. So I'm sure we'll see other issues as well. Um, there's just not much else to really report on that right now, but it's, it's, it's a little bit troubling, to say the least. And, you know, moving on, so in a general picture, we have 435 elections going on in the House and 35 elections going on in the Senate, which is pretty crazy, to be honest. And in the U.S. House, the balance of power is pretty close right now. You have 220 Democrats, 212 Republicans. Obviously, all you have to do is look down the center of the country, and it's pretty obvious what each side is you know, talking about here. But the problem is, is that's <laughs> it's 12 seats, right? So if you have any switch there, it, it could be quite fascinating, to say the least. We're going to start seeing exit polls in about an hour from what I've seen in places like Indiana and Kentucky. Indiana's you know, a little bit south of me here, so that's always um, interesting to see, to say the least. But there's 82 competitive seats right now in the House, and if the majority of those flip, we will see the impeachment circus begin. Um, moving on, though, some thoughts on today's events. It looks like a lot of the results, especially in the East Coast, are going to start coming in around 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. where I'm at. Polling places in key states will have closed by then. That's places like Georgia, Virginia, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. I remember from the last cycle that states like Virginia and New Hampshire were super important. They both count their, their votes sorry, relatively quickly, and this means they could be harbingers or predictors for what other elections are going to look like. Now, side note, you guys are going to have to deal with, uh, deal with some noise. I got a dump truck outside laying uh, a nice bed of cement. It's actually kind of entertaining to watch, but um, not great for the noise quality. So hopefully it's not too loud. But anyways, um, yeah. Virginia, New Hampshire, I think, are both kind of states to watch. And, for example, in 2018, I remember staying up in Spain till like, 4 a.m. That was, you know, the year of the blue wave. Obviously a rebuttal on Trump. And Democrats won House seats in Virginia's three largest swing districts. 
today those same ones are up and it's going to be interesting to see what happens if they go red probably not a good sign for democrats <laughs> maybe i'm going crazy but that's what i would think also there's an interesting article from the New York Times that talks about this race in Virginia, and it says in quotes here, if Republicans take back two or all three of these seats, the party in general will likely have a good night. If they take only one, the outcome could be close. And if Republican, sorry, Republicans lose all three, the polls might have overestimated them. Now look, I again don't trust the polls. <laughs> I've told you guys that. They're generally correct on trends, but they're not always correct on the specifics. And my instinct right now is that we're going to see a red ripple. We're not going to see a red wave or what Joe Rogan said, you know, a, a red tsunami like in The Shining when they opened the elevators. I don't see that happening. I just really don't see that happening. Maybe I'm going crazy again, but I see there being somewhat of a red ripple. Kind of like if you dropped a piece of blood in a pond and it kind of just spreads out and you see the ripple. That's what I'm expecting here. But if Virginia, which will know the results earlier than others, have any issues... For, for Democrats, I think it's going to be problematic going down the road for them. Another example of what to look for early, I guess, or fairly early, is in New Hampshire. Because again, caveating this, we're not going to know the results for some of these races for days and maybe even weeks in the case of Georgia. But New Hampshire is another one where I think right away we're going to have some insight. This is Maggie Hassan, a Democratic senator. She's up for re-election. At the time of this recording, she is only up by three points. And how she does, and again, I said New Hampshire is good at counting quickly, how she does could be a good indicator of whether Democrats overperform, underperform, or get their asses kicked, right? And from my understanding, if things are not looking good in New Hampshire for her, it's not going to probably bode well for Cortez Masto in Nevada, for example. I did not discuss this one as much yesterday, but <laughs> this is a race I'm pretty disappointed in. I, I actually had hope. I was, I was telling my dad about this. I had him listen to a podcast with me about this, and I was like, I, I would love to see Evan McMullen do well in Utah. But I'm disappointed about the Utah Senate race now because Trumpus MAGA nutjob Senator Mike Lee is running against the former Republican turned independent Evan, Evan McMullen. Both Mormons, both, um, Evan McMullen actually ran in, I think it was 2016, as president, obviously didn't do well. <laughs> but uh, sadly, Lee is up 48.5% to McMullen's 38.7%. And I really thought that there could be hope here. You know, McMullen, former Republican, independent, not, not a Democrat, but willing to work with both sides. Mike Lee, someone who helped the coup on January 6th, claims to like the Constitution, but also likes to shit on it. I, oop, we got a nice noise out there again. Again, like I said, perks of living on a busy street. But anyways, Mike Lee, I don't think actually knows that much about the Constitution, um, but of course he's up and... Looks like he's going to run away with this. So quite depressing to see after, after I think, Evan McMullen putting out a very genuine, authentic, and hopeful campaign. Now, again, he claimed he would not caucus with the Democrats or the Republicans, and I think both parties probably are not thrilled about that. So I'm assuming there's a lot of op opposition research and just a lot of attack ads that Republicans have put towards him, and it's not surprising to me at all that he's fallen. Anyways, so I want to spend the rest of this going over... A couple races. And like I said, the polls are not to be taken for granted. I don't want, if you're still trying to vote or, you know, obviously it's getting late, so I'm guessing most people have voted by now. But I don't want to take the polls for granted because, again, they are not always easy to see. I would like to look over kind of some of the, the final predictions here and the final, 
final numbers that we're seeing right now. So let's start with governors. Wisconsin, still even. Like I said, it will be a travesty if Michaels wins. Now, unfortunately, while I say even, Michaels has the advantage of plus 0.4, which is literally like no fucking difference between zero. But the problem there is that we are seeing an advantage there. I don't think Michaels wins. I really hope Michaels doesn't win, but there is a bit of an advantage there. And again, like states like Wisconsin have seen rises in crime in places like Milwaukee. The economy's not great. As crazy as Michaels is, he's been able to kind of ride that wave. So right now it's 48.7% to 48.4. Not not what I like to see. Not what I like to see. Arizona, Cary Lake is still up 49.5 to 47.1. She wins. She wins in my opinion and I think it's going to be going to be not good. But Trafalgar does have her at much more of an advantage. Again, Trafalgar I don't always trust, but I'm also looking at other polls here. We have the research company, Lake Up 2, Insider Advantage, Lake Up 3, Marist University or Marist College, Hobbs plus one. That's an interesting one. Emerson College, Lake Up 4. Yeah. <laughs> not not awesome to look at. So Nevada is also fairly interesting. Lombardo has even more of a gain since last time we talked. He's about two points ahead of Sisolak. Like I said, I think a lot of people in Nevada are mad for different reasons. Sisolak, there's a lot of reasons for people to be pissed at him with the COVID issues. Um, we have Emerson College. Wow, Emerson College actually has Lombardo up by four. Basically, actually every poll I'm looking at has Lombardo still up updated you know over the last week or two and then this current like conglomerate of the polls happening right now so not not great Oregon is still up three for the democrat which is good um you know whoo i mean oz is now doing a little bit better in pennsylvania i don't know i don't know it's going to be interesting to see here um wisconsin for example 50.4 for Johnson, Barnes 47 in the Senate. Now, another race that I'm interested in kind of looking at is New York. Now, on paper, let me pull that one up, sorry. On paper, Hochul is up eight points against Zeldin, and I do see Hochul still winning that, but it's closer than it should be kind of depending on who you talk to, but I, I feel like Zeldin is kind of a big MAGA guy. He was a House representative, kind of a big ally of Trump, and the fact that he's actually this close with Hochul is fascinating. So that race, I still see Hochul winning. Um, let me let me get over here to Arizona. No, uh, yeah, Arizona for the Senate here. Mark Kelly's only up by one now, so fun stuff. Um, either way, either way, we have some some interesting results here. Obviously, this is not a live podcast, so it doesn't do me much good to go through all these races and really talk about what's happening right now. But either way, it's funny. If you look at almost every graph of the blue versus red in these, it's almost like blue 
was up, red was down, and now they're both just meeting in the middle right before the election. And I think that's just a good summary of, of where we're at right now. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. These elections are always so close. There was a good, good article in The Atlantic today talking about how as, as crazy as everything is and how divided we are, the elections are almost always so close. Like, these days you never have, like, I don't know, like a 60-40 Senate, for example. It's always, like, marginal advantage to one side or the other. And it just seems like these elections always seem to do that. Is like, as divisive as politics are, we always kind of seem to get to this equilibrium. Of course, if this equilibrium continues... And it goes towards the red. Like I said earlier, we're going to have some issues with potentially 2024 and people trying to help Trump out. And that is something I, I am not excited to see. But no, it's just crazy. If you look at almost half of, no, almost like three quarters of what I'm looking at, it's like red and blue. Blue was up, especially probably, I would assume that was when Roe was happening. And then you're looking at the red side, and they're both just meeting in the middle. So it's it's kind of kind of fascinating to watch. Anyways, I'll be watching these tonight. I will be likely back tomorrow with some more analysis of everything happening. Again, I think I think we're gonna have an idea of what's happening by the end of tonight, but I also don't think everything's gonna be certain. Now, in 15 minutes, Indiana, for example, the exit polls are closing. Again, I don't follow exit polls too much. I, I just don't. <laughs> I've, I've lost a lot of trust in just everything since the Trump era, or even before it. But anyways, yeah, um, I, I think we're going to see a red ripple. That's kind of my final thoughts here on this. I don't think there's going to be a blue miracle. <laughs> But I don't know if there's also going to be a red tsunami like Joe Rogan, the so-called liberal, has predicted. And the so-called liberal, I say, I mean, uh, facetiously, just because he is not a liberal anymore, I don't think. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I am a little bit concerned as this is going to be that election we look back on and say... Look at the people we put into office. They don't have a plan. They just know that they want to defend Trump and Trump election results. So anyways, I'll be back tomorrow. Take care. Have a good night. Stay safe and sane. And um, hopefully there is some sort of miracle. Not because I'm a Democrat, but, but because I think this is the crossing of the Rubicon moment. And I think that the people that don't believe in elections unless they win should be held accountable. They won't be, but I am hoping for a miracle so that they are.